we are racing through the book of John, and today we are in John chapter 7, so go ahead and, uh, and start <coughs> flipping to that. Now, for those of you who are joining us as guests today, I do ask for volunteers if you're willing to read the scripture. I don't call on people, usually, but uh, you're, you're more than welcome to jump in if you'd like to. We usually break it up, and we have several passages to read today. Where are we at? <clears throat> the gospel according to John is fairly unique. Compared with the synoptic gospels, what are the synoptic gospels? Brian, you have any Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Oh. I don't. I'm sorry. I don't. I'm sorry. So it say came that again. On once and that's okay. Uh huh. Well, I don't know. I can't hear. I'll try and I'll try and speak up. I guess. I'm sorry. I don't have any batteries for you, sweetheart. <clears throat> synoptic Gospels. Go again. I'm going to go with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Very good. Why do we call them synoptic? Similar. His, his life. Based off the same material. Similar? <laughs> their account of his life. Yeah. Account of their life was? A summary of his life. S yeah, summary of his life. And they're similar. So they're all right. You're all correct. Um, the synoptics, while they have about a third of their material is original, another third is sourced from Mark, and another third is sourced from what could be a controversial source called the Kella source or Q source. So John is different. John is a completely unique gospel. We don't have any other gospels like it. And the focus of John is not as much on the narrative and, and kind of chronological history of Jesus as it is on the spiritual nature of who Jesus is. John written much later than the synoptic gospels, probably at the end of the first century, tends to be a response to what is going on in the Mediterranean region. Ta-da! <laughs> Uh, to to what people think about Jesus and actually what it, people are thinking which is wrong about Jesus. And so we'll talk a little bit about that today. Where we're at today was we just got done with chapter 6. And I will say for those of you who were here last week, that was one of the best classes I think we've ever had. <clears throat> that was an amazing class. Sometimes it just happens. I don't come in here saying, oh, today, John 6, that's going to be a barn burner, right? This is going to be amazing. It was. It was, an, it was an amazing class. Where we ended it last week was what? Jesus comes out and says, I am the Messiah. I am the bread of life. If you rely on me, you will never go hungry again. If you rely on me, you will never be thirsty again. I can give you that which can satisfy you for all eternity. And guess what? This is just after he fed 5,000 men, maybe fifteen to 20,000 people when you include women and children. <clears throat> Remember I said the number of people that Jesus fed on the hills by the Sea of Galilee would have been as many people as can fit into Hilton Coliseum in Ames. <clears throat> but after that, after he fed their bellies, but he told them truth, what happened to most of those people who were his followers? They left. They left. They disappeared. They got fed up and they left. They said it was hard to take. It was too hard. They couldn't take they the truth. And they were thinking yep. physical. Exactly. So now where are we at? <clears throat> Jesus leaves and we start with chapter 7. And let's go ahead and pick it up. And I think we're going to read verses 1. Excuse me, verses <coughs> 1. And let's go to... Let's go 1 to 13. Who would like to read that for me today? After, the, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booze was at hand. So his brothers said to him, 
leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about what it about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man, others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Thank you. There's a lot of stuff in there. It's a short passage, but, oh, wait a minute. Jesus had brothers? Wait, he wasn't going to go and then he did? He said he wasn't going. The people hate him? What are your reactions to this passage? What questions do you have? Sounds like something I'd do. Okay. Like, I'm going to do, I'm not going to do this. Oh, wait, maybe I will. For fear people, you know, they're going to reject me if I go there. Okay. He, he was trying to not be so public, I think, yes, at the time. Yes, yes. <clears throat> Let's write this down. Now, this sounds counterintuitive. Publicity. Jesus is trying to avoid publicity, yet I just told you that he fed 5,000 people on a hill, at least maybe 15,000 people on a hill. He, he's getting publicity, but he's trying to avoid it. Why is he trying to avoid publicity? He's quicker end, <laughs> probably. And it's, it. and it's where, he, where he's at. I mean, when he yeah. fed the 5,000, he wasn't in predominantly Jewish area. Right. I mean, it was kind of a mixed bag. Whereas this festival was going kind of right into the, the heart of the lion. Yep. That's a good way to put it, actually. So <clears throat> he feeds the 5,000. So the Sea of Galilee is somewhere around here. He feeds the 5,000 on the hills of the Sea of Galilee, maybe in the kind of the eastern side that um, we would call the Golan Heights today <clears throat> in modern Israel. So Jesus is on a path, a path that he knows he's on that has a very, what to some would say tragic, for us, remarkable end, and that's in Jerusalem for Good Friday, what will eventually be the day that he is put on trial, crucified, and dies um, as the Savior of the world to atone for our sin. He knows that the more he stirs things up and the more publicity he gets, the closer he's going to be getting to that end date. Now, as we know here, they already want to kill him. Jesus was purposefully staying away from Judea because the Jews were waiting to take his life. They were so upset. The ruling class, Pharisees, the high priests, the Sadducees were all saying, this guy is poison to our people. His ideas contradict what we are saying. His ideas threaten us because of our rule. And if we get our hands on him, we're going to kill him. Jerusalem is where the high priest lives. This is where the temple is. This is where the ruling uh, Jews are. And again, Judea. This is Judea. This is Samaria. And this is Galilee. Now, yeah, I'm 
scrunching it in. It is a very tiny area, relatively speaking, of the whole uh, Near East here. Okay, <clears throat> what do you notice here? It says, the time, the right time for me has not yet come. This is a Greek word, kairos. It means literally season, the right season. If you were to Google it today, I think even in modern Greek, it means something akin to season. Again, ancient Greek is not completely similar to modern Greek. It's, it's close, it's not the same. Kairos means the right time, an opportune time or the right season. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. What? What? How many, not to pick on them, how many liberal Christian leaders today would even quote this verse? How many of them would quote this? Jesus is hated. Folks, this might be a shock to you if you are a Christian who has grown up in the church and you have, you know, gone to Sunday school, been a very good boy or girl. Most people hated Jesus on earth. And there's a lot of people today that say, oh, no, 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 if I had just been able to go back in time and I had a time machine and I could go back and I could see Jesus and I could see his miracles, I'd believe, would you? Because 99% of the people that saw and heard Jesus back then hated him and didn't believe him. Jesus' own family didn't believe him. His brothers are giving him crap. Dude, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples could see the miracles that you do. They, that is a sarcastic sentence, folks. That is not real. That is not, oh, we love and support you. No, it's not. No one who wants to be a public figure acts in secret since you're doing these things. Show yourself to the world. His brothers didn't believe him. His mom thought he was crazy. At one point, his family shows up at a house to say, we are here to take you home, Jesus, because we think, quote, in the Greek, you are out of your mind. <clears throat> Who were Jesus' brothers? What? Jesus had brothers? Who were they? Well, one was an apostle, James. Yes! Okay, let's name them. Was he an apostle now? Oh, probably he not. Be- he became an elder in the Jerusalem church. Yes, eventually. But most scholars would say at this point, even James was probably not convinced. There's no evidence that he was a disciple of Jesus yet. James. Who were his other brothers? There's four listed in the New Testament. Just name some popular names in the New Testament. <laughs> John. Uh, nope. Try again. Joseph. Yeah. Joseph. Joseph. Keep going. Has to be start with a J. There's one more that starts with a J. And it might be the one you think. Josiah. Nope. Jerry. <laughs> Jesse. I love you guys. <laughs> It's another name for Judea, or Judah. Judas. Judas. They're all different forms. Jude, Judah, and Judas are all forms of the same word. And then Simon. So he has at least four brothers. The New Testament says he also had sisters, plural. We don't know their names. This is a side tangent. There are some Christian faiths that believe that Mary was a virgin her whole life. There is no textual support for this. We know that Jesus' father, Joseph, was probably still alive when Jesus was at least, you know, an adolescent. Because in the temple in Jerusalem, when Jesus gets up and 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 he's talking to uh, the high priests and he's talking to the scribes and the very smart people. And then his family leaves and suddenly realizes he wasn't there. It seems as though Joseph is still alive. So somewhere between Jesus' adolescence and now... 
Joseph is no longer mentioned. We think that his father has passed away. But there's no evidence that Mary was a perpetual virgin. So I just want to throw that out there. You can believe whatever you want. There's no, there's no textual evidence for this. Seems as though he had legitimate brothers. Well, in this case, would be half-brothers, right? Kairos, we talked about that. Okay. Um, I wanted to about Jesus' brothers take a rope yeah. with him. So they yes. hang on as a little kid, yes. and all of a sudden, hold it. You're, yep. We know you as this Jesus, not this Jesus. Right. And so that's why it was hard for them to under, really understand. And Tim, what was, what was Jesus' very famous comment about this, about your family, about a prophet in his hometown? They're hated in their own hometown. Those that knew as well. A prophet. Everywhere but in his own hometown. Yes. A prophet has no honor in his hometown. Look, everyone knows this. Your family knows you better than pretty much everyone else, at least for the most part. Uh, who, who do you get the least respect from sometimes, right? <laughs> Let's be honest, right? Well, they were giving him head nuggies and... That's it. <laughs> Ooh, look at Jesus. He thinks he's all that, right? <laughs> Mr. Not-Sinner guy. He never sinned, did it? <laughs> Isn't this totally human nature, though, right? They're probably a little embarrassed of him, too. Yes. I mean, he's always sticking his nose in things. and Stirring yeah. up trouble. Yeah. We, we actually looked at that passage a couple weeks ago in the men's Bible study up at CCF. And the thing we noticed going through it is that when, when he says that, as people are questioning his teaching in the synagogue, they never question his teaching, but yeah. they question his character and his identity. Oh, very good. And so they very don't good. actually address whether what he's saying is true. Very it's good. entirely around, oh, who's this guy to be telling us these things? Who, how, look, I hate politics. Everyone who is in my class knows this. I hate politics. You can be the smartest human on earth, but if you stand up and if you say say statements that are logical and make sense and, yeah. are, and are true, <laughs> You will be like, that That guy is brilliant until you find out what party he belongs to. <laughs> oh, he's a Democrat? The guy is full of crap. 100% of what he says is wrong. Really? <laughs> this is how human nature works, folks. It's so important for humans to know what group you belong to. As, because they want to classify you. Because, in our minds, humans are very unscientific. I want to know what group you belong to so I can know whether you're full of crap or not. It's our tribal nature. Yes. yes. And look, we're going to get into the tribal nature in this, in this, in this uh, chapter here because it's really going to come down to where Jesus is from. And that's going to be a big deal here. Okay, I don't care what you're saying. It may make sense. But as soon as you tell me where you're from and who you are and what your background is, then I'll tell you whether you're right or wrong. So dumb. Okay. Brothers left for the feast. Was it, yeah. was it Nathaniel that said what good comes out of Nazareth? Yeah, does anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, he, and then, also, then he really got into it and yeah. believed him once he figured, you know, once Jesus right. called him on, he's like, mm -hmm. well. I love that one. That's a good one. The other part here <clears throat> is this. I just want to address this. I am, okay, this is, uh, this is verse 8. You go to the feast. Now, depending on your translation, this is, okay. Folks, I learned Greek not because I had nothing better to do, all right? This is not easy. Ancient Greek is hard. It is nothing like English. This is an example where your English translations fail you. My NIV, which is, is fraught with error, says, I am not yet going up to this feast. That's not the Greek, folks. That's not the Greek. <clears throat> Did I write it down here? 
Ego uk enabino. I, not, am currently going. It's really important. English doesn't have this concept of the, the present imperfective tense of Greek. What do I mean by that? This might sound like a bunch of hogwash. Greeks were very concerned with the quality of action, not as much with the time. The present tense, which is what you would call this in English, is I am not currently at this moment going. Okay. If he was going to say I am not going, he would have used the future tense or maybe the subjunctive. But here is the current present tense. At this moment, with you guys, I am not going with you. Okay. It says nothing about what could happen in the future. It's a really important distinction because Greek does make that distinction. If he had no intention to go, the Greek would have been written, I, I am not planning to go or I will not go. So, you know, some people look at this and say he lied or he was wrong or he forgot or maybe he changed his mind. No, no, no. You can't make any of those assumptions here. What's the other one? Your verse 12, folks, is garbage. Who, okay, tell me, among the crowds, there was widespread what about him? Tell me what your translation says. Grumbling. Grumbling. That is the Greek. Who says whispering? NIV? Ugh. It says muttering. Muttering. Muttering, muttering is close. Gungutso is Whisp grumbling or muttering. It's whispering only in the sense that it's, it's grumbling under your breath, so they don't, not, not a lot of people hear you. They weren't happy, folks. They were not happy. It is with a negative connotation. Among the crowds there, there was widespread grumbling. Complaining could be another translation here. Some said he is a good man, but that's the alternative of grumbling. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. Folks, a lot of people had no idea how to handle Jesus. What people claimed about Jesus in his lifetime, this is a short list, folks. Demonic possession. They thought he had a demon. They accused him of breaking the Sabbath. How could you heal a man on the Sabbath? Well, you circumcised your kids on the Sabbath. Blasphemy? Oh, that was, that was probably the thing that got him killed. Deceiver. He's leading all these people astray, and thus he is a threat to us. They called him a Samaritan, folks. This guy is a Samaritan. Well, that is like one of the dirtiest things you could call someone back then, dude. Of course, he's out of his mind. His own family said he was mad. Okay, this is a bit of a stretch, but like he's, you know, chemical influence maybe. And of course, anti-temple. Oh, he wants to destroy this temple and raise it in three days? That was also like, you know, something that could get you killed. But what temple was he talking about? Himself. Okay. Let's go ahead and move on here. Verses 14 to 24. Who would like to read that for me? Then midway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The people were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much when he hasn't been trained, they asked. So Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. Those who speak for themselves want glory only for themselves, but a person who seeks <clears throat> to honor the one who sent him speaks truth, not lies. Moses gave you the law, but none of you obey it. In fact, you are trying to kill me. The crowd replied, you're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus replied, I did one miracle on the Sabbath, and you were amazed, but you work on the Sabbath too when you obey Moses' law of circumcision. 
Actually, this tradition of circumcision began with the patriarchs long before the law of Moses. For if the correct time of circumcising your son falls on the Sabbath, you go ahead and do it so as not to break the law of Moses. So why should you not why should you be angry with me for healing a man on the Sabbath? Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Very good. So you can judge correctly. How many people know the, you know, the concept of uh, do not judge lest ye be judged? So, folks, this is, I'll just start right off with this. Right here, we can say that that is not a blanket statement in all cases. <clears throat> now, I'm an elder in the church. I've been called to judge to a certain degree to ensure that our flock is healthy. And, you know, for instance, I'm, I'm in charge of, of discipline, direction, and doctrine of the church. I have to make judgments. Are we on the right track? Are our flock on the right track? Jesus right here, this is scriptural, folks. Stop judging my mere appearances and make a right judgment. <clears throat> Cresis is the Greek. <clears throat> Cresis. It means to judge, to discern, to make a good decision. <clears throat> you are called to make right judgments. But what kind of judgment are you called to make? Judge ourselves whether we're going to do this or we're going to do that. Okay. Or we're not going to do it. Okay. We don't judge others. Uh-huh. <clears throat> that's between mm-hmm. them and God. We judge. Well, you don't judge others' ourselves. salvation. Okay. You can judge others' actions whether they're righteous or not. Yeah. That's it. And that is that is biblical. Right here, he says, make a right judgment. Where is my Greek New Testament? Twenty-four. It's Decaius Cresus. So Decaius. <clears throat> Decaius. Decaius means righteous judgment. You're called to do that, folks. You're called to make righteous judgment, to understand righteousness. Now, where do you get righteousness from? Granted. <clears throat> from God. who? From God. I, you, I don't even need to teach you guys. You guys know it all already. This is the answer. goes, I did one miracle, and you are all astonished. How many, <clears throat> how many people who question faith today, myself included, I was here once, say, oh, if only I could see one miracle from God, then I'll believe. <clears throat> how many people saw miracles here and abandoned Jesus? <clears throat> <clears throat> say it louder. A lot. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Jesus knew that's what they were wanting. Yeah. And he said they, they, they came because they were fed after he fed them. Yeah. That's three. They came for that. I got, I got my belly full. They, I got a good message. I got some fellowship. I'm good. But, oh, wait. Now he's saying some really hard stuff that challenges me. And I'm out. I'm out. I don't think people like to hear the truth. That's sometimes. it, Tim. Yep. They just want to hear what they want to hear. Yep. Right. Even today. Mm-hmm. Especially today. <laughs> That's exactly it. Well, it all circles back to Jesus wasn't. He wasn't who they were looking for. And so uh, the more we study these yeah. things, the more I understand why they didn't like him. Yeah. Who were they expecting? Well, they were <clears throat> expecting this mighty warrior conquering Rome and yep. setting up the kingdom of Jews. Yep. Mighty warrior, conqueror. Who was going to be the first people <clears throat> that were overthrown here? 
Romans? The Roman Empire. And by association, anyone who was not what? Jewish. Jewish. Mm-hmm. All the Gentiles, you, you know, I, I assume, maybe un, uh, unrighteously, you're all Gentiles, right? You're, you're not Jews by, by descent or by, by culture or by, by religion. <clears throat> they were you're all Gentiles. For David Jr. to come. Yes. They were expecting <clears throat> King David Part 2. <laughs> the revenge, right? We're going to get, and that was it. We are expecting our revenge. That was what they were looking for. But now we've got this carpenter, uneducated, remember that, who has not been taught. <clears throat> Where does it say? How did this man get such learning without having studied? Folks, everyone saw Jesus for what he was the moment he shows up. He is an uneducated, poor carpenter from Galilee, this out-of-the-way backwater, which ironically was uh, better off than Judea at the time, but still he was a peasant, an uneducated peasant, who today, folks, how do you know someone is from Georgia or or South Carolina? How do you know? Their drawl, their accent. Guess what? Jesus had a drawl. The minute him and his Galilean fisherman disciples showed up, what are those Galileans doing here? They, They talk with this accent, right? They thought he was uneducated. How did he get this way? But what did Jesus say his education was? Verse 16. Comes from God. Yeah, it came from God. It didn't come from him. And here's 17, and this, this is key, folks. What does verse 17 say? If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. What is the litmus test for how you can discern truth? You're holding it. The Bible. You're so good. <laughs> you're right. Why? Why do you say you're holding it? Well, it's, I mean, I guess you, you look back then, they didn't have what you're yeah. holding. But they had this. They had part of it. Yeah. They had enough. <laughs> and where did that come from? And what I'm getting at here is, What was their heart? And that's a bigger piece here. If anyone chooses to do God's will. So it doesn't even say, you know, to be technical about it, that they have memorized the Hebrew Bible, which is our Old Testament. It says if anyone chooses to do God's will. Folks, we have very little power individually over this universe. I know you'll say, oh, we invented atomic bombs and we landed on the moon. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people worked very hard for decades to do some of those things. But in the end, you're going to die. In the end, you are like a breath of wind. You are just dust. Your real power comes in what? It's right there, the verb of verse 17. Your power is your choices. That is really, to some degree, the only power you have in this universe is what you choose to do, what you choose to believe. Here, Jesus is saying... If you choose to do the work of God and the will of God, if you believe in God, then you will be illuminated. And who will illuminate it? Ken said it, and and Steve was alluding, God will illuminate it. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. How many people, again, I'm going to rip on some people here, How many famous Christians are doing this for themselves? This is a trick question. 
This is a trick question. If they're famous, I would say all of them, maybe. And I think, it's, I think the answer is all of us. To some degree, all of us are doing this to get something out of it. But at the same time, I would say that there is a point you pass where you say, I'm, I'm in this completely for me. And that's when your teaching starts to diverge. At some point, if a person starts to say, I'm in this for me, and I, and I want to have a huge church, and I want to have a lot of followers, and I want to be very wealthy, you know, have, a, have a lot of money in our church, and, and do great things, you have, the, you have the potential here to go down a path where you're no longer listening to God. <laughs> you're no longer listening to God. How materially successful in life was Jesus of Nazareth? Not. Didn't have anything. Thank you. He was not materially successful. He had kind of very few friends. He had no money. He had no, he had no investments. He had no retirement plan. Um, so he didn't even have a place to lay his head. Yeah, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Who was Jesus doing all of this for? He even admits it. Even Jesus of Nazareth was not doing this for himself. Who was he doing it for? God the Father. God the Father. <coughs> Folks, this is challenging. This challenges me at my core. Am I doing this for God the Father? Or am I doing this for myself? You guys are so quiet today. Maybe I'm talking too it's much. Heavy. It's heavy. It is. All right, let's move on then. 25, let's go on 25 to, we'll just go to 44. 25 to 44, who would like to do that for us? I can. Thank you, sir. You're, by the way, this guy is the, one of the best readers we have in here. I've told him, it's gonna be you know, audible. Uh, pretty soon. <laughs> I'm not audible. What? See, this is what happens. <laughs> this, I have no. I have. I have no way up. Wow. You're awesome too, Angela. <laughs> he was. Well, you bring your parents, and then you're the best. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was since kindergarten. Okay. <laughs> he was teaching under preschoolers how to read. Oh, very good. Wow, so. very good, sir. <laughs> Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said. Is not this the man who, whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and you do not know, er, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because the hour, his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering about these things, <clears throat> and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. 
the Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by, You will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This is really the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Benjamin, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. We often kind of joke in this class, or not joke, but say, you know, was Jesus just a prophet? <clears throat> you know, um, was Jesus just a teacher? The answer is, he was a prophet. He was a teacher. He was also the Christ. Christ, Christos, meaning anointed one or Messiah. Prophetes, prophet. But do we have scriptural evidence that these things were predicted from the Old Testament? <clears throat> If someone could read Deuteronomy 18.15 for me, please. Who could do that? I've got it. <clears throat> the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your countrymen you shall listen to him. And like me is who? Who is speaking there? Moses. Moses. Yep, this is Moses. <clears throat> it is predicted that there will be a prophet like Moses who is the one to lead the nation of Israel going forward. Jesus here, so that's one thing. Jesus also says here that as the scriptures say, what? Streams of what? Living water. Living water will what? Flow from within him. Who can read Proverbs 4.23 for me? Keep your hearts with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Okay, springs, and springs, of course, meaning like a, a wellspring of water. And then who wants to read Isaiah 53, 11? <clears throat> I can read. Out of the anguish of his soul, uh, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. I think that was the right one. Oh, it was 5811. I'm sorry. Can you say that verse didn't sound like it was? Yeah. I mean, hey, that's great. That's actually, well, I'm going to add that to my notes. I think 5311 is also equally good. Tim, tell us about that verse. <laughs> Happy accident, right? Do you want to skip over to 5811 as well, please? I can do that. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. So, the Old Testament is alluding to something here, that there is coming a time when a person representing God will, will create something within you, within human beings, 
That is so satisfying, so immense, so amazing, but it will come from within. It will come from within. And now we have this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, who shows up out of the desert from nowhere saying, I am the guy that's going to be the beginning of all of this. And if you believe in me, pisteo, if you believe with faith, you, you, you trust me, you are persuaded by me, that's, that's the right answer. Then springs of living water will flow within you. A few chapters ago, Jesus was in Samaria, and he was at a well talking to a woman from the region. <laughs> and he famously has this conversation with her. He says, woman, you know, <clears throat> do you want water that will, that will satisfy you forever, that you will never need to get a drink again? And she's like, yes, give this water to me. I want it. But he wasn't talking about material things. He was talking about himself. He was talking about belief in the gospel, the good news. Here again, Jesus is making the pattern over and over. Look, folks, it's true. To remember something or understand, you've got to hear it seven times. You've got to repeat it ten times, right? You've got to think about it. This is what Jesus and, the, and, and actually the author of John is doing. He's trying to make the point over and over and over again. Believe in me, and you will have a spiritual satisfaction that goes far beyond any food or drink because those are temporary. They perish. That was our Greek word we learned last week. You remember what that was? Apollomy. Say it again. Apollomy. Okay, you can do better than that. Apollomy. Apollomy. That was even worse than the first time. <laughs> One more time. I'll write it out. I'll write it out. Here we go. Ready? Apollomy. One, yeah, okay, fine. All right, thank you. Now that you said it seven times, now you know it, right? Uh, what does it mean? <laughs> what did you say? What does it mean? Oh, I'm sorry, you weren't here. It means to perish. Oh, it means, like, to be lost. Okay. The ship is lost. Well, we didn't lose it. We didn't misplace it. It has been destroyed. Jesus says, do not, do not rely on things that perish. Food and drink in the physical material world will fall away. Those things are temporary. You have to eat every day. Jesus says, I can give you bread that will never go bad. I am the bread of life. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will be satisfied. Go ahead. Everything will fall away except God's word. It stands. Yeah. There you go. That's awesome. And he's making this claim over and over. And, and every time he does it, he, he gets more people riled up. <laughs> you know, this is hard to digest, right? Like Ken said, this is heavy. <clears throat> if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, streams of living water will flow. And by this he meant, and now the author is trying to explain it, that the spirit, the pneuma, whom those who believed in him were later to receive, the Holy Spirit, Hagias Numa, the Holy Spirit. Up to that time it hadn't been given, but now it is. If you are a Christian and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, who do you have living within you? Who do you have what? Who do you have living within you? Christ. The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a representative of who? God. God himself. So this spring of living water is not like something, is not like an oil well you discover in Oklahoma, okay, that just you are producing. This spring of living water is being produced by whom? God. 
God himself living within you, producing this spring of water, this, this water that will never fail. How many people believe, well, you don't have to raise your hand. This is a private question. Think to yourself, do you truly believe that you have the Holy Spirit within you? Yeah. Thanks for being honest and saying it. If he brings things to your mind, you know he does. Okay. You know he do. And that's a question everyone has to ask themselves. If you truly believe it. I mean, if you have God's Holy Spirit springing eternal within you, do you have anything to worry about? Nathan, is it all going to be okay? In the end, yes. Yeah, in the end. Maybe pretty bad tomorrow. <laughs> it might be. Might be. Prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is right with an asterisk. <laughs> it will be right eventually. It may not be right tomorrow. Tell the, the Christians who suffered under Diocletian that. Roman history, the persecution of the Christian people didn't really get going. Yeah, Nero did it a little bit, but it wasn't really widespread until much later. Around the 4th century AD, Roman Emperor Diocletian comes on the scene. He hates Christians. That is the worst persecution probably in the history of the Christian movement of all time. Christians being burned at the stake, women and children being slaughtered in front of each other. If you, if you attested to be a Christian, you would be killed. If you didn't root out your fellow Christians, you would be killed. All of the churches were burned to the ground. All the scriptures were burned. This is probably why we don't have the original autographed pages of the New Testament. Many of them were lost. Tell a Christian under Diocletian that it's all going to be okay. It's hard to do it, right? How many of us suffer? <laughs> How many of us have lost our jobs or have gotten sick, had loved ones perish? But if you truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, what happens in the end? We win. We win. <laughs> yes. We win. It's like all of those freaking Patriots Super Bowls where they somehow win in the end. How do they do it? <laughs> so annoying. No, I, it's fine. I like them. But it's true, right? What, you know, I famously say I don't like to talk about the book of Revelation. Because there's a lot of difficult things in there to interpret. It's hard to say what, what means what. But the, the point of Revelation is what? What happens in the end? We win. We win. <laughs> Thank you, Gold Star Angela. Okay. Let's go ahead and move on. Let's finish this out. Verses 45 to 52. Who would like to read 45 to 52 for me? I'll get it. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Pharisees then answered them, You have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers or Pharisees have believed in him, has he? But this crowd which does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who <coughs> came to him before being one of them, said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him, from him and knows what he is doing, does it? The answer, they answered him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. Everyone went to his home. You know, it's funny because the tone is lost in the text. Right? How many of us have read an email and interpreted it far worse than we probably should have? I do that every day, right? And that's why I hate email. 
When you write something down, you kind of lose the tone of voice. I'm going to reenact what I think <coughs> was the tone of voice here. Not because you d you did an excellent job, brother. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's the first time I've ever think, read that. You're so, so. good. <laughs> yeah. <Well>. <laughs> <laughs> no one has ever. Well, why haven't you locked this guy up? Why didn't you bring him in? Because no one has ever spoke the way this man has spoken. The, the temple guards, look, you don't get hired as a temple guard because you are a touchy-feely person who likes cats, who, who likes long walks on the beach and poetry. You get hired as a temple guard because you are a thug with huge hands and a club in your fist, and you're really good at cracking skulls. And they said, because this guy has never spoken no one has ever spoken this way before. And we didn't, so we didn't seize him. Now you can just see the red faces of the Pharisees at this point. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Right? Ladies you mean he deceived you also? Yeah. I gave you one job. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. The way he spoke when he was, and when he went into the temple, when he said this verse, it's, it's been fulfilled today. Yeah. Uh, they said that he he spoke like nobody had ever spoke like that before. You know, it, like with authority, or you know, it was it grabbed him. Mm -hmm. You know, it's amusing. You know, this that last verse yep. where they say, "Search the scriptures and see for yourself yeah. who prophet ever came from Galilee." Well, Jesus technically didn't come from Galilee. He's from Bethlehem. And if they searched the scriptures that way, they'd see, well, that's where the Messiah is coming from. Let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> Turns out they were wrong. <laughs> we know we have three Old Testament prophets that came from Galilee. So now we're getting into an, an area of either they are idiots, which I don't think a Pharisee of this period who was a ruling Pharisee would have not known this. They're getting to the point where they are willing to lie, cover up. They're willing to use hyperbole to the extent that they are now misrepresenting the truth. There were prophets from Galilee. Now, in addition to that... <coughs> they should have been more specific. Nazareth. Sure. They, they okay. Nazareth. Well, nobody sure. comes from right. Nazareth. That's true. That's fair. It's interesting that <coughs> no, no matter how discreet God tried to make yeah. where Jesus was from, yep. born of a virgin, in a stable, yep. the, the wise men lied about it, <clears throat> basically. Didn't go and report that he was there. I mean, it was very discreet how Jesus came into the world. And yet, their whole thing through all of this has been about trying to call him out from where he's from. Yeah. You know, like, because he's from Bondurant. What did I say at the beginning? Tell me where you're from. I want to know your, your heritage. I want to <clears throat> know where you came from. Then I can tell you whether you're full of crap or not. I like the Bondurant call out there, by the way. What does it say here? And this I love, folks. They get so mad. Well, has any ruler or Pharisee ever believed in him? Is it a mistake that the author of John in the very next place talks about Nicodemus? Who was Nicodemus? Yeah. He was <laughs> a believer in Jesus. He was on the Sanhedrin, folks. Now, this is not just a Pharisee. Remember... You have the social hierarchy of the Jews. You have the high priest, who at this moment in history is who? 
Caiaphas. Caiaphas. He is one of, there's 70 men who are part of the Sanhedrin. Okay, so it's 70 plus one. This is the cream of the crop, folks. This is the aristocracy. Many of these people are Sadducees. These are the rich Jews of the period. Also includes Pharisees. We know from the Holy Scriptures, there's at least two, maybe three, you could probably say, people on the Sanhedrin who are followers of Christ. Who are they? Nicodemus is one. Who else? Joseph? Joseph of Arimathea. And maybe Paul's teacher, who was who? Starts with a G. G. Gamliel? Oh, yeah. Gamliel. I don't even know how to spell it. They were there, folks. And there's probably more than that. If, if it was that, and, and I think even when Nicodemus has this famous conversation with Jesus about being born again, I believe it says something about we believe. Folks, these Pharisees are, are blind fools at this period. There is a movement on their own Sanhedrin, the cream of the crop, who believe that Je- starting to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Folks, that's amazing. <laughs> and yet it seems like he was a little bit, you know, like, well, I mean, he didn't just flat out say, hey, I believe who he says he is. What would have happened to him? Yeah, he says we, we need to bring him and hear from him. Let's just follow the rules. Yes. And that's what Gamaliel famously says. He goes, Gamaliel said the same thing, basically. Like, we can't condemn someone without their testimony. We need to bring him in. And Gamaliel says, if it's from God, there's nothing we can do about it anyway. It's going to succeed. And if he's not from God, it's going to fail anyway. So why are you guys so afraid? Right? Right. And I love this part, too. And as soon as Nicodemus speaks up about that, does our law condemn anyone? They reply, what, are you from Galilee too? <laughs> He's like, Rrr. I love this. I love this. Thoughts? I can, it, it's, uh, this exchange is, could happen today, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Something we've talked a lot going through Mark is that the Pharisees like to hold to the law as long as it's convenient to their traditions. Wow, what does that sound like? Right. You know this <clears throat> this bread of life. Yeah. If you don't eat my, you know, eat of my body and drink of my blood. You know that <clears throat> we we talked about that a lot in here, and that's and I don't think what we've yeah. I don't think we've touched on. Okay. You know, what is what's he really saying there? Great. Not yeah. not hyperbole, but yeah. necessarily like like what does that mean? So mm-hmm. you mentioned the woman at the well, <clears throat> and we talked about she came when nobody else was there because of her shame mm-hmm. over her sin, mm-hmm. and that <clears throat> she was looking for. She, she was like, oh, is there water? So I don't have to expose myself out here right. and be embarrassed anymore. You know, yeah. what does that, what's that mean? Mm-hmm. What did Jesus mean? So let's ask you all that. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. Are we cannibals? What does that mean? 
you have to consume everything about Jesus and make him nice. part of you. What happens when you eat food, physically, materially? What does that food become? It's your blood. It goes through your whole body. It's you. Yeah. You are the apples you ate, the steak you consumed, yeah. the wine you drank. You're all of that. <clears throat> Folks, there is nothing magical about you as a, as a human being. The, it is a bit of a misconception. The food you eat is not just gasoline fuel you burn. It is. 80% of the f <laughs> okay, biology, 80% yeah. of the food you consume goes to energy. 20% goes to replacing you, your cells, your proteins, your DNA. All of it came from the food you ate. All of it, 100%. And so, like Steve is saying, the food you consume becomes you. So how does that relate to Jesus? I think Steve said it perfectly. You consume Jesus and his word and it becomes a part of you. That's the bread of life, folks. That's it. Now we're human and we are concrete people and we have to understand things concretely. So every time you go and you have communion, Jesus knew this would be the, the, the case. He knew it's hard for you to understand spiritually what's happening here. I am the bread of life. Consume what I am, my word, my logos, my word, my truth, and it will become part of you. You will have springs of water flowing because you have the Holy Spirit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relate that to you physically through the Eucharist, which is communion. <laughs> right? The next time you get up and you have that little cracker and you have that little grape juice or wine, think about this. You are, you're representing physically what's happening spiritually. You're taking Jesus' words, his teachings, making it a part of you. Is that good? Yeah. I mean, to, path. to a point. I mean, there's, you know, there's, I, I get that, yep. that part of it. You know, I, I beg, it begs the question, now what does that mean for me? Yes. Once I become like Jesus, what's that mean? What do I, what do I get from that? Uh-huh. You know, I'm not asking the question like I don't know because okay. I kind of yep. get an idea yep. of what that means, but I don't think I understand really the depth of it either. What's you know? next? I love it. I love this, this question. What's next? So for you, what is next? <clears throat> what would Jesus do next? Right? What is the model? of Jesus' life here. What does Jesus do? How does he live his life physically, extrinsically? All for others. Loving Think others. Things. Say it again. Loving others. He loves. What did you say again? All for others. All He's, okay, living all for others, maybe selflessly. He's doing God's will. He's doing God's will. Boom, kind of yeah. cycle of prayer and action. Yes. Prayer and action. Prayer. Jesus prayed. The Son of God prayed. How awesome is that? Absolute belief in the Father. I love it. I think we're supposed to glorify God every day, don't we? I like that answer too. Not us. Yeah. I love it. Thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next week.